Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Football season is upon us. Clemson are your defending national champions, and life is good. Everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben and Sam, and we are here to do our final season preview podcast show. Boys, we made it. How are we doing on the, I guess we're T-minus two days here to the kickoff? You know, it's, um, I think the guys uh, from Shaken Southland on the last episode you did that came out what today they, they put it one of them put it pretty nicely in that you know when you're the national champions um and you're returning as many people as we have even though there's some question marks on the defense it's okay that the offseason is longer right i don't feel the anticipation or just the need to get back to football to right some wrong from last year um so it's been kind of just a pleasant offseason just taking some time off um, not worrying so much about college football and i think that makes the excitement now leading up to the season that uh that much better. I'm actually kind of, I actually kind of like having our opening game on Thursday, the more that I think about it. Um, it gets us out there, you know, our sole spot on Thursday night and then um, gets, gets it out of the way and then allows me to join uh, the rest of the football schedule on the weekend, which to be honest is not that good this year. I'm super excited. Uh, I woke up on Monday morning and just thought, Oh my God, football's back. We play on Thursday. This week's going to be awesome. And I was uh, eating my dinner with my wife about 30 minutes ago, and she was flipping channels and came across a replay of the Syracuse-Clemson game. She turned it on, and uh, it was two plays before Trevor went down. And I was like, this is not where I want to start this game. Um, But I'm just going to have to go back and rewatch it now and and enjoy the victory uh, and Chase's Chase's ascendance during that game and, and just get pumped for the season. So, Sam, were you watching on the ACC network? No, we were not watching on the ACC network. It was some random sling TV channel. Because that's all they've been playing is Clemson. You know, wisely, they've been there's a lot of Clemson hype, apparently, with the kickoff here of the network. But, uh, you know, what else are they going to show? Season highlights of uh, Louisville? Certainly no. not. Uh, uh, maybe after dark, they'll play that one. But, um, no, uh, my, I have a cable subscription still, I know ridiculous but we don't have the acc network yet on comcast xfinity um i have a feeling they're going to do a an 11th hour deal in the next 24 hours and get that YouTube. before Thursday. but youtube not, TV, man i know youtube tv that might be my alternative option did you work for google <laughs> luckily you'll be at the boardroom on thursday so it won't be a concern you're right exactly but you know i'd like to record the game to watch several times over um, but I guess, you know, guys, we definitely should touch on this Georgia Tech matchup. Um, in addition to this show where we're, again, going to kind of take more of a macro broad view of the season. Uh, but Ben, is, to circle back to your comments about the offseason, I agree with you. I think it's been, it's been a, bit, a bit more enjoyable, I think, compared to the 2016 title. 
and that we have a lot to look forward to with this year as well. Um, not a rebuilding year by many estimates, um, and a true title defense is going to be underway. So really excited. Um, recruiting could not be better right now. So it seems like every single week, you know, we've definitely had our fair share of um, kind of nitpicking coming from mostly the SEC network uh, personalities. But if you can drown that out like I do um, with, with liberal use of the mute button on Twitter, um, it, it's been a good offseason. Yeah, you know, just listening to Paul Feinbaum rant about everything he hates about Clemson, everything he's jealous about Clemson. Um, who's the Who's the Feinbaum of the ACC network? I think that remains to be seen. Um, I thought Danny Cannell would be a good good guy for the job, but he is on the CBS family at this point. He's no longer with ESPN, so you know we'll have to feel that out, figure out who the ACC's like head of propaganda is going to be. But um, Ron Cherry. He's not still on the side, or he's not still refereeing games. That's going to be his retirement job. He's going to move into broadcasting, and the ACC network is the obvious choice. Right, definitely. Cool, guys. Let's get into this season preview here. Uh, Clemson enters the year, first game of the, actually not the first game, first game of week one. Uh, Coming in ranked AP number one, first time in school history there. Um, If you were looking for any new accolades or new ground to break for Clemson, you know, that's another feather in the cap uh, but facing georgia tech on a thursday night ben i agree with your comment earlier um, if you've got to have a thursday night game i think in week one is the time to have it um, all eyes are going to be on clemson there and it's i heard they're opening the tailgating lots at 8 a.m still in the summer still pre-labor day for people obviously most people are going to be working and taking part of the day off to get out there but should be a good atmosphere for the game and uh you know get a chance to celebrate the championship team from last year too yeah, apparently philosophy professors at Clemson aren't happy about them canceling classes for one day. But um, I would I think you have to take take a step back and take the broad view. It's a culture thing, right? How many ever students and 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 fans of, of Clemson Nation? Um, you can we can take one day and devote it to football um, during the week during the the school year. You've got every other day, all the other school days. You'll be fine. Let it happen. Don't complain about it. Uh, so schedule shaping up pretty well. Um, we'll definitely get into a deep dive on the schedule, but I thought for this show, we've obviously examined a lot of the personnel coming in this year, who we thought would be you know, playmakers and emerging talent on both sides of the football plus special teams. I think we can explore some of that, but I, I really thought this show would be our chance to reflect on some of fall camp, a lot of the you know, previews that we've read um, throughout the Clemson media and the national media landscape. Um, and really take a look at some of the emerging storylines that we feel like will ultimately dictate what the ceiling is of this football team. Um, so I think we'll we'll kind of explore the offense, defense, and the schedule through the, through that lens. Um, and maybe where we could start with that, I wanted to wanted to start us out with the offense. And across the the spectrum of the team, this is really where we have the most continuity coming back of talent. Um, the coaching staff is definitely very established here um, in terms of you know, that really Tony Elliott, Jeff Scott, uh, proving time and again that they're capable of uh, maximizing on the talent that Clemson has, mostly in the, the passing game, but also the running game as well. Uh, Travis Etienne, you know, huge storyline for him. This is his money year, the year that he's likely to uh, go into the draft after this season. So um, a lot of, I think, like known commodities coming into the year, year on offense. Um, we all expect Trevor Lawrence to continue to shine at the quarterback position too and compete for a Heisman. 
but as far as the question marks, I know Ben, you spent a lot of time thinking through this. What do you really see as you know the the biggest, I guess, question marks that will define the ceiling or how good this offense really is? Well, I think one of those questions has already been answered. Um, we're going to get a full season with a game ready Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we didn't have that last year, right? He really didn't get going uh, until about midway through the season. Of course, he had the injury in the Syracuse game, uh, did not start the first four games with Kelly Bryant uh, being the starter. But yeah, just you saw how good he was in the last two games against the uh, in the season against the best competition in the country. Um, he's only going to improve from there. And the offense should be overall uh, improve this year, including the offensive line. I know it's been mentioned by several people. This could be Dabo's best offensive line. Uh, it's certainly going to be uh, his best wide receiver uh, group. And those are all tools for Travis, Trevor Lawrence to work with, not to mention Travis Etienne and uh, Lynn J. Dixon. So you put all those things together, and this is going to be one phenomenal offense this year. Uh, we talk about the defense last year and w whether or not they were one of the best of all time. The conversation at the end of this year is going to be, is this, is this Clemson offense, was this Clemson offense one of the best of all time, if, all, if, if everything goes according to plan? Um, so really my question mark for me there, the big one, is can they outscore uh, the, the team from last year? Last year they finished fourth in the nation at just over 44 points a game. Um, so I'd be interested to see where that lands this year. I expect a lot of blowouts. Um, because I expect the offense is going to have to keep the pedal to the metal a little bit more this year with what we've lost on defense. Um, and I also really think that the passing uh, game is going to open up the running game this year, and there's going to be a, a pretty good balance across the board. Ben, I totally agree. I think the, the conversation really comes down to, are they the best in the country, and are they one of the best offenses ever? Uh, that's that's kind of a storyline that I'm going to be keeping track of. I think recently Trevor Lawrence got interviewed after one of the practices or scrimmages and said, we want to be the best in the country. I think that bar is about where it should be. Like the, the talent that's coming back and the consistency from last season is insane. Uh, we've got four seniors or graduates on the offensive line. Jackson Carmen, the only one that isn't a senior on that starting offensive line. Uh, the receiving core has just gotten deeper. The running back depth is a little bit thinner with Feaster's departure, but we have two incredibly talented guys, one who is the reigning ACC player of the year in the backfield. Tight end, we've talked about. It's it's a little bit unknown. We don't have anyone that's definitely going to be a receiving threat and have the ability to block. But all those things combined are just going to add up to an incredibly good offense that's going to be a ton of fun to watch. and. We get a little bit of preview on Thursday, get to start it off against a team that uh, is usually decently good defensively, uh, but they're going to spend a lot of time on the field this week, I think, because Georgia Tech's offense is not going to be able to stay on the field. So they'll get a good chance to show what they've got. And I think, I think it's, you know, like you mentioned, Sam, maybe this game against Georgia Tech is not going to be one of the, the, these scenarios, but over the course of this season, is the offense just going to get out there and score on three plays every time and put the defense back on the field? Like that is kind of a real concern. Um, uh, we don't have the depth on defense that we did last year. You're not going to be running second, third string uh, guys out maybe so early this year, definitely not the third string uh, to, to spell guys and keep them fresh. So you do kind of want to keep our offense on the field for a little bit. And I think that's where establishing the run game a little bit more this year is going to help. 
uh, with that time of possession battle. Now, of course, you, you know, if we go down the score every time, we're going to win every game. But um, just kind of a, a caution there, you know, keep to, to keep the D-line fresh. I think the concerns are, are a little bit alleviated. If you go down and score in, in three plays every time, you're going to get leads quickly. So having a 21-point lead or something and putting in second and third string guys earlier in the game to spell some of the guys who are getting tired from being out there too much wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, the issue is if the defense struggles a little bit and we're scoring a lot, it could compound and, and get a little bit a little bit hairy. Yeah, I think playing with a lead like that puts your defense in an interesting position of that'll ultimately force the opposing offense's hand as well and yep. the type of plays they're doing and get it th- get them off their you know desire to play a balanced a balanced game and if you look at the strength of our defense it's pass protection or you know pass defense that's a great point Tilly I think the pass defense is really going to be where we're going to force people to attack because we're going to have those leads so much that it's kind of like playing to our strengths like last season we had strengths at the line and so it would have been less advantageous for us to get those really big leads this year. We kind of want to play into that because it lets, uh, lets the defense defensive line know that they can attack aggressively because they're not going to have to do as much run D. Uh, and then we can trust the guys in the defensive backfield to, to cover receivers effectively. Right. So you're essentially, I mean, yes, I understand that you're making, essentially it all comes back down to the fact we're making teams one dimensional, um, if we get big leads on them. So my comment about worrying about the offense scor- scoring too fast is stupid. Yeah, just score I mean, a lot uh, of points is the, is the takeaway, I think. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, yeah, just score more than the other team. From a, you know, let's put our, let's put our devil's advocate, you know, glasses on. The one team that really did give Trevor Lawrence trouble last year was Mike Elko's Texas A&M defense. We talked about this with the STS guys, Alex and Matt about how disguised coverages did throw Trevor Lawrence for a loop. Uh, there's no shortage of good defenses he faced down the stretch. Uh, Mike Elko's former team, Notre Dame, Alabama, you might remember them, and how those games went. I feel like Trevor will have that figured out. Uh, this game will be played at Death Valley as well, and I'm pretty sure Texas A&M's offense will not be as lucky as they were a year ago um, in catching every damn ball. Well, and what we have, one, two games of tape on them last year? Like, now we have a whole season. It's an FCS opponent last year. Yeah, yeah so, so now we have a whole season. And we have a whole season of Trevor Lawrence uh, gaining an understanding. We saw that progress throughout the year, and it, you know, all culminated um, in the college football playoffs. To yeah, be I mean, fair, think- Lawrence only threw nine passes in that game last year. It's not like he played a ton of minutes. Um, so he didn't look great in those nine. He, those nine I mean, no, he didn't. He, he was five of nine for 93 yards and a touchdown. So his, his rating was still fantastic, but it didn't look good. Um, but I think if you put him in for the whole game, I, I'm not super concerned, especially with the amount of experience he's gained and the amount of uh, additional film that we've got on AM under their new coaching regime. It's, it's definitely a concern, but it's not, Super worrying. Trevor yeah, Lawrence, he will be fine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you had to dial up what type of team or what type of personnel would would give this Clemson team fits, I think this might bring us to one of our remaining questions on on this offense. It's one that can generate a pass rush while at least holding our receivers at bay in man coverage. Which good luck identifying who that team is, um, because those receivers are super elite 
especially when we're going four wide. Uh, but that it does present an issue if we're we're seeing pass protection breakdown, particularly from the unknown quantities on the line. And I think there will that that'll bring us up to our next question: Is Jackson Carmen coming in and replacing four-year starter? You know, most games started, I think, of any college athlete all time, Mitch Hyatt. Um, that's that again. That remains one one lone question mark on this team. And we're bullish on Jackson Carmen. I think you know, five star. He he took a year off, not a year off, but uh, was not thrust into the spotlight of starting on this offensive line. Um, but yeah, inexperienced there with Jackson Carmen, and I think everyone's got questions about his ability to to maintain a healthy playing weight. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot to be said for the continuity on the O line and the experience level. Ben, I think you already commented on that. So um, again, like you pretty much have to, you know, do some mental gymnastics to find a way to figure out what type of defense can slow this offense down. Yeah. So I think in regards to Jackson Carmen, we've heard all the right things from the coaches, and at this point, we give them the benefit of the doubt. You trust they don't. They're not hyping players up. Um, they're very honest, and we've seen that over the years, and we've come to learn to trust what they have to say. So we're hearing uh, from the coaches great things about Carmen. Sounds like he's doing all the right things. The big issue with him is obviously keeping his weight down. Uh, you touched on it with the STS guys in the last episode. Um, is he able to keep that weight at a, at a manageable um uh, number throughout the season as it goes on, not be able to work out as much as you need recovery time. So that is something to watch. I think as far as teams uh, that could possibly expose any weaknesses we have there, um, Syracuse with their defensive end duo and Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman is certain, uh, certainly something to look out for. Uh, South Carolina returns a veteran defensive line, including the addition of Zach Pickens. Um, and then even looking further than that, looking at a possible ACC championship game matchup, Virginia returns eight starters on the defense that helped opponents to 20 points a game last year. Um, so just really just kind of off the top of my head and looking at the schedule, um, I would pick those things out. The good thing about South Carolina, Virginia is that they are at the end of the regular season. And so at that time you would hope that Carmen has things figured out. Um, or if he has regressed, we would know it well before then. Yeah, it makes sense. I think. Also, position of question here is going to be Sean Pollard moving over to the center position. I think a year ago, especially early on in the season uh, with Falsinelli, you had some questions about the center position and snaps being on the same page with both Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. Um, obviously, some of that was sorted out. Engage Cervenka um, was in there as well, you know, playing center duties until he settled in at right guard. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what we get out of. Um, Pollard in that spot, uh, but I haven't really heard much coming through camp, and no news is good news. Well, the, I think all across the offensive line, the real issue is, again, going back to left tackle, is there's nobody that we really trust behind Carmen. Uh, you can move, your, your first move would be to move Ankrum over there, but um, he doesn't have prototypical size for a tackle. Uh, he, he, um, he obviously gets the job done and is a great player there over there at right tackle, but it becomes a different situation at left tackle. Um, is the reason why he's not playing there. So, yeah, I think, again, Carmen's that key just because of lack of depth on that right side. I think every other position, for the most part, across the line, uh, you feel good about your 2D. And I guess what will also factor into pass protection overall is, is how Clemson chooses to utilize the tight end position. Um, I think when we got, we received the 
news that Braden Galloway's suspension was going to get upheld for an Osterine, we'll call it tampering, or we'll call it a, a misdiagnosed um, false test, then that changed the outlook, I think, of the tight end position. But I actually feel like the Clemson, from what has emerged, I think will be in pretty good hands uh, with J.C. Chalk emerging. He's a better in presence on this team. Sounds like he's really committed himself to improvement at that position. I think a lot of those accolades are coming with the pass catching ability, but I think just with the embarrassment of riches going on in the receiving core, it's something where you can, you can handle having a tight end whose first focus is on pass protection and really being kind of that, that six lineman option to keep Trevor Lawrence upright. Yeah, that, that run blocking, that's going to be huge. Um, yeah, we really just need to, uh, him to play his assignments. Um, and play solid fundamental football at the position. Listen, he's a senior, uh, 6'3", 255, has good size. You're hearing great things about him really transforming himself and taking ownership of that leading role. We've done fine without pass catching, uh, pass catching threat at tight end uh, the last couple of years, so it doesn't really worry me. I worry about the, the blocking uh, more than anything else, I'd say. And let's just really call it what it is. It was uh, Paul Feinbaum's collusion with China that got the Osterine um, into uh, the contamination. So just want to be clear on that. Um, but Jalen Lay, um, we'll have to see how he comes along. Um, I think maybe he come, becomes a threat later on in the season. Um, I think more than anything else, what's going to get lost in all of this is had Braden Galloway uh, been able to play this year, man, think about the wide receivers we have plus him. That's impossible matchups. And then don't forget Davis Allen. Let's see if he comes along throughout the, throughout the season. He did not um, get a lot of, he missed all of uh, August camp with injury. Um, he's back now. Let's see how he factors into that. But again, for freshmen coming in, it's really the, the, the blocking schemes that is the hardest for them. Well, and let's bear in mind, you know, we have our eyes set on the college football playoff. Braden Galloway will be eligible to rejoin this team and play in the semifinal and should they make it the championship game. And you might say, look, you know, the coaching staff's going to ride the hot hand or, you know, go with the guy that got you there. Uh, except when you've got a, a, a phenom and an option like Braden Galloway and looking back to the 2015 season, what OJ Howard, he was their X factor in that championship game against Clemson. Basically that's like a curse word around these parts, that name. But um, yeah, I, I imagine he will factor in somewhat to the offensive game plan. Uh, should we make it that far? Yeah, I think later in the season, you might see a little bit more variety between who's playing depending on the downs and and you know what the offense is looking for in the moment. If we're goal line, you might see JC Chalk go in there to to block a little bit towards the very end of the season. If we make the playoff and and um, Braden Galloway is back, you might see him in for some goal line stuff if it's like 10 or 15 yards out to try and get another capable set of hands in the end zone. Um, Jalen Lay's development is definitely going to be interesting to see if he can work his way into more playing time by being a consistent enough either route runner or um, pass blocker or run blocker that that you know he he just earns himself some time. So the tight end position, while it's not necessarily going to be our strong suit early in the season, is definitely going to be fun to watch to see how everybody that's in that role develops. I think what you'll see really more so than anything out of JC Chalk. He's not going to be considered a threat. Obviously, there's no really tape on him. What does he have, like four catches in his career or something like that? Um, I would look for some little, some little wrinkles in the offense, especially in uh, uh, big game situations, maybe later on in the season, where he's the forgotten guy 
But if he has the ability, uh, he has good hands to, to make the catch, you can see him spring some uh, big plays when uh, teams opposing defenses aren't ready for it. Yeah, I guess that's a question that you know we can explore an hour at the end of the show if we want to table our predictions for that point. But I'm thinking through what are what are going to be some unexpected, you know, pleasantly unexpected parts of this offense, and I I feel like my answer to that is going to be the come from the running back position, understanding what you get from Travis Etienne in the passing game, and or from the freshmen that are coming in as well. Um, not necessarily going to write off Lynn J. Dixon as a, as a passing option, but if we can get the wheel route moving in this offense as well, knowing what, you know, what defenders are going to have to deal with and worry about down the field. Um, look for that as another kind of wrinkle that could re-enter part of this Clemson offense. Yeah. The, the depth is the only thing there that really bothers me. Obviously we have a uh, top end talent in the first two guys in ETN and um, uh, Lynn J. Dixon, but you know, Running backs take hits, and it's been great the last few years for Clemson to be able to run four guys out there um, and you know give Etienne a break so he's not uh, being a workhorse throughout the season. But you're going to rely a lot more on him and, and Dixon this year. And again, Dixon played well in garbage time last year. We have to see him do that against first-team defenses, which he's going to have the opportunity to do this year. Um, Darren Rincher is your third guy. You know, we'll see what we get out of him. You kind of hope that maybe Mikey Dukes comes along as the season goes on, the true freshman, and maybe assumes that that thirteen role. But how much? You know, you don't place a lot of trust in, in freshmen usually. So the depth is what concerns me a little bit because you're increasing, you're going to be increasing the workload of ETN, and you have less depth behind them. Now, as, as far as uh, teams that we're going to be facing that we need to worry about, their rush defense there's not a lot a lot of teams that we're playing this year lost a lot on defense and some just historically or in recent years just aren't good uh, weren't good last year defending against the run um fsu is a team with a, a tackle marvin wilson um wake forest is feeling better all around about their defense and then i go back to south carolina again they've got that veteran defensive line including uh javon kinlaw who could be a first round nfl draft pick this year um Virginia, of course, uh, mentioned them earlier. They're returning the eight starters on defense. Um, but I'm not, I'm not worried about us being able to run against teams. Again, as I mentioned, the passing game is going to open up a lot of that. I just worry more about injuries more so than I did last year. Yeah, and I think in, if you look back at our production or Clemson's production in football games last year, the running game one of the one of its first games was Texas A&M and this came up in our chat with SCS guys I didn't realize ETN only had like eight or nine carries in that game and clearly yeah. that was a play calling decision from the coaching staff I'm not aware or familiar if he had any injuries there or I don't think it was because Texas A&M had such a dominant you know running run defense certainly the game was close enough where you would have thought we would have cycled in more runs but I guess Kelly Bryant you know what he was getting done in the running game was also a factor there too. Well, and we were all last year run ETN more running it. Why are we not running ETN more? Um, opened up when Trevor Lawrence came in there and was able to open things up with the passing game. So those those two things do go hand in hand. Um, I don't think you're going to be seeing ETN with only eight nine carries against A and M this year. Yeah, certainly not. Um, I don't. I guess you could say if you do, something's gone terribly wrong. I'm not sure. But that just seems like a weird aberration. Um, I guess any comments in terms of you mentioned the depth, Ben. How do we feel about 
let's call it from wrencher down the depth chart in terms of pass catching, um, some of more of the intangibles for the running game, such as I guess they are tangible, but you know, pass protection and blocking. Um, well, for, good about to get this year relative to years past. For ETN, it's it's really about his pass catching out of the backfield and also his pass blocking. He's worked really hard on both of those things in the offseason. It's not for lack of ability. Um, in the in the passing game, it's more so of his nerves of um, just feeling too exposed, um, I guess. So let's see if he can calm those down this year and actually has improved on his pass blocking. Lynn J. Dixon, still a sophomore. Um, I imagine there's he's not going to be the guy that they rely on on uh, for 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 pass protection uh, when ETN's not in there. You might see that go more to Darian Rencher. Um, but uh, again, uh, Lynn J. Dixon is good out of the backfield receiving the ball, and then also Mikey Dukes is, um, and Ches Malusi, the two true freshmen coming in. Let's see if Malusi is able to avoid a red shirt or not. We imagine out of the two that Mikey Dukes is probably the one who has the best chance to. Great. Well, uh, obviously a lot to be excited about on the offensive side of the ball. A few storylines there, but largely it's going to be just about how high is the ceiling for this team? Um, how can some of these you know, first-year starters in Jackson Carmen and some of the depth on the, the running back core kind of pan out? So going to be really excited to see some of that play out and just really enjoy uh, seeing this multifaceted offense get loose. We didn't touch too much on the wide receiver talent. I think uh, th that one is clearly no secret. So uh, we'll probably touch on those when we talk about breakout players and MVPs. So the best, the best uh, little nugget I hear about the, have here about the wide receivers, uh, T. Higgins in an interview said uh, about running down the hill, his goal every time was just to avoid falling down. Um, and then he had a comment, I have a weird feeling Frank Latson is going to fall down. I don't know why. <laughs> Stay upright, Frank. I wanted to uh, correct a comment you made a couple shows ago. Frank Ladson's from Miami, not California. Just fact checking you, Ben. Uh, oh, what Nagata is from California. Yeah, that's right. Um, anyway, we can move it on to the defense. Um, I think this is going to be where I think there's going to be the most excitement as a fan and as a kind of a student of this football team. A um, lot to cover here. I think let's start with what we're really excited about. I'm really excited to see this back seven come into their own and really establish probably the best back seven we've seen certainly since at least 2014, if not well before then. And um, it's it's just awesome to know that you you can really uh, be stress free, I guess, in the in the back against what really has become a pass first football. Like college football has become very pass heavy pass first to know that that's the strength of your defense um, is exciting and I guess comforting too as a, as a fan. So um, we could definitely touch on some personnel that is going to lead to, you know, the prowess in the back seven, but as a starting point for this defense, I think that's going to be their identity. I think the secondary and, and the linebacking core are going to be so much fun to watch this season because there's a bunch of guys that are coming back for their senior year, their junior year that, are going to be driven to to take over the leadership of that defense because we know that that defensive line is so much younger and less experienced than years past. So guys like Kevon Wallace and AJ Terrell and uh, you know Tanner Muse, Jamie Skalski, Isaiah Simmons, all these guys are going to be trying to step up and and lead this team defensively. And I think they all have such high uh, high floors for this season that it makes me feel really good about 
what that secondary is going to look like because they just are so talented and a lot of them have a ton of experience already uh, with Darian Kendrick kind of being the exception, obviously, because he's making the switch to cornerback, but um, everybody else has been in this defense for multiple years and knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and and the guys in the secondary aren't afraid to lay the wood either, which is going to be good in helping with um, uh, defending against the run, which we know we're going to have some issues there. Or at least we're going to take a step back, of course, from last year, because how could we move uh, any for, uh, any further forward? Um, number two against the rush last year. Yeah, so I mean, one spot to go with up. You think that this uh, year's version is going to do that? I don't think so. Um so, yeah, secondary from the front line starters and even you go into the two deep um, at safety, we're in great shape. I, I'm feeling really great about those units. My only uh, concern is the depth at the cornerback position. Obviously, McMichael leaving hurts. You've got a converted wide receiver uh, coming over and becoming your starter. So that doesn't that, that says a lot about Kendrick, but it makes you wonder a little bit about the backups. Um, so one of those guys going down, how much do you – uh, trust uh, the second team guys to come in there and be able to do it. I think obviously losing AJ Terrell would be um, worse, I think, than losing Kendrick. I expect AJ Terrell to probably have over 800 snaps this year. He's going to be a guy that's out on the field a lot. Um, and uh, you start to look at teams that maybe can expose that if we do have uh, some depth issues there. Obviously, Texas a and with Kellen Mond coming back, Syracuse with um, Danny DeVito. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, what's his name? <laughs> um, Tommy, 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 Tommy. I'm sorry, their quarterback's not some old, short, bald, fat, funny guy. Um, that'd be awesome, though. Tommy DeVito. Um, you know, you can see how I make that mistake. Um, Wake Forest averaged just under 33 points a game last year, and then I keep coming back to South Carolina, which is making me start to convince myself this game is going to be harder than I thought it was. But they've got Bentley returning, Shy Smith, Brian Edwards, or Trey Smith, who Clemson was after. Um, so you saw what they did in Death Valley last year, putting up over whatever 500 yards. Um, so if we do have some depth issues or injuries there, I do worry a little bit about that. And then last, again, ACC Championship Virginia. A Virginia team could be the best competition. A good Virginia team could be the best competition we face in a while in the ACC championship game. They've got Bryce Perkins returning. He had a great year last year, um, throwing for almost 2,700 yards, 25 TDs, and nine interceptions, including 923 yards and nine touchdowns on the ground. It'd be um, funny, Ben, if, that, if Virginia does win the Coastal, I think that would be the eighth team, or the, sorry, the seventh team in seven years. Yep. And Obviously, that means for us, it would be our fifth year if we win the Atlantic, playing a fifth team. So no repeats. Right. Um, well, that that tells you how bad the ACC Coastal is um, and how great Parody. Yeah. Well, I forgot Duke got one in there. That's interesting. Like they played Florida State in like 2013, I think. Maybe it was 2014. But yeah. in any event, the Coastal, brutal, brutal division. So, so anyways, all this to say, I know we're, we're sold on our frontline starters at cornerback. Look at how the second string guys look and how they develop throughout the season. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's, what's really tough, you mentioned the teams with capable passing games. Uh, that Texas A&M followed by Syracuse stretch. If Darian Kendrick should have a little bit of you know, growing pains or he's really feeling the, the, the pace and the speed of um, being a starter in college football on that side of the wall. I think that's really two games in a row, games two and three of the year, that 
that he could be picked on a bit. Now, I do trust, you know, with with Brand Venables, I trust the adjustments to be there, you know, to get him help or to move alignments around or to move coverages such that they can sort of shift the receiving options that they're picking on him with um, to somebody else on this defense and to start to play play into that depth. Um, you've got Kayvon Wallace, who's a converted corner. Um, maybe he can play a little bit more if they go to the Dime of Doom. Um, he can play <sighs> a little bit of coverage. I would hope Goodrich and Anthony Williams at this point would be a better option than him. And then don't forget, you've got the two true freshmen coming in, Sheridan Jones and Andrew Booth, who are super talented guys. They've looked good so far. Um, are they going to be up to speed to be able to play meaningful minutes if something occurs? I don't know. Uh, my dark horse here is uh, Jake Herbstreet, um, Kirk's, one, of, one of Kirk's two uh, twin sons who's on the team this year. I like that we went from the Davis twins to the Herb Street twins. Got to have a, a duo on the team well, at all times. So you've got Herb Street, obviously, with all his love for Davo and Clemson. And then you got Urban Meyer saying that Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback ever in college football. Those Ohio State people are really coming around to us, aren't they? Yeah. Tully, you can, you can point out the Ohio people. You know, you, you represent for them. They're not trying to knock us out anymore. There's a, there's a, there's a love affair under the, bubbling under the surface there between Ohio and South Carolina just waiting to come come through um all right well elsewhere on the defense guys uh the biggest questions i believe remain on the defensive line how could they not after sending five guys into the draft um obviously the power rangers including albert huggins so you got to replace them obviously big shoes and big pants to fill uh but what's nice is i think we're pretty happy with the depth that this team has coming in the, the number of snaps the amount of experience yes not these guys have not played together. They've not, you know, started games together and had continuity as a unit. Uh, but it's not. I think just the the coaching philosophy and the approach and the number of kind of garbage time blowout games we played was getting guys like Niles Pinkney, Jordan Williams, Xavier Thomas uh, reps and snaps. Um, so again, you know, a lot's been written. A lot of ink has been spilled about the inexperience. But I actually feel like they're in much better position than then maybe is being reported and they're getting credit for. Um, but yes, questions still do remain. And I think the biggest ones um, talk about two things, like ability to generate a pass rush without blitz and the run, run defense without help from linebackers. And you're looking at the defensive tackles for that. Um, I feel like in general, we could talk about the personnel. Um, I'm looking for breakout performances this year from Xavier Thomas. I think he's going to move outside of Clemson household name to national household name this year. And my hope is he's doing that with, you know, a dozen plus sacks. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that, okay, we've got all those guys, but let me throw in Tyler Davis too, because the fact that he's come on so strong and he's going to be immediate force right away could even start at some point this year. That's huge for, for depth at the tackle position um, because while we do have Williams and Niles Pinckney, um, Xavier Kelly, those guys have played. They're talented, Xavier Kelly, converting from in to tackle. So he's been a little bit slow uh, coming around to that. But um, they're still not proven. Uh, so any more depth and potential you can add there is great. Yeah, Tyler Davis listed as, as a co-starter for the Georgia Tech game actually with Jordan Williams at tackle so that's kind of surprising people expected Williams to be the clear starter alongside Pinckney at tackle and Tyler Davis has come on so strong as a freshman that he's listed as a a co-starter for week one but I think 
I'm not sure about the depth still. I, I know the coaching staff is really trying to sell us hard on the fact that we've got five guys that are going to rotate at the ends, six guys that are going to rotate in at tackles, but it feels to me almost like they're pushing it too hard. Um, and the fact that a freshman is stepping up uh, to be one of the co-starters potentially at tackle could mean one of two things. It could mean that he's incredible and has earned that and is going to be amazing, which is what we hope for and what uh, I'm going to lean towards. But it also could mean that guys like Jordan Williams are not developing like they should and uh, that you know it's going to be thinner than the coaches are letting on and they're trying to build up the confidence of, of the guys in that rotation and get one or two of them to really step up and, and fill the holes that were left by the power Rangers and, and huggy bear. And I think where you see that play out and Ben, I know you scoped um, sort of the opposing offenses. I think a capable O-line and a running game that can beat you between the tackles is really where that could start to manifest itself. Um, I think we've seen a lot of running back turnover in our opponents. Um, forget the name of the dude at Texas A&M. I think he's gone this year. Um, are there any offenses that stand out to you, Ben, as potentially punishing Clemson as such? I mean, BC is the one that comes to my mind. Yeah, so A&M loses Travion Williams. He was an uh, over 1,700 guy, uh, yard guy last year with 18 touchdowns. Um, so they've got some question marks there. I'm less worried about them. Uh, with Syracuse, Eric Dungy's gone. Danny, uh, Dan, here I go again. Tommy DeFito is not uh, nearly the same run, runner that Dungy was. Um, but you do look um, uh, to BC and AJ Dillon. Obviously, you know he's a force. And then going back to South Carolina, sorry, Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle. Uh, it really depends on how South Carolina's offensive line performs um, in the run game. But, you know, those are, Syracuse still averaged 200 yards on the ground last year. Now, Dungy was their second leading rusher, um, had two times as many rushing TDs as the next highest back. Um, but probably still a threat there. But the good thing is, is that we're not facing incredible backs this year, um, at least during the regular season. And what BC has ever to cobble together on offense, um, they have AJ Dillon, they have Anthony Wright at quarterback, but they've also lost a lot. So um, it's it's great to have a great back, but if you don't have guys who can block for him, and if you rely on the running game solely and allow the defense to focus in on that, make you one dimensional, then it becomes all that much harder to to move the chains on the ground. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> kind of going back to the you know the best defense is a good offense. I, I think comments we made earlier. Um, I think what where you could see this combat or where where Brent Venables can make adjustments throughout the year is actually leaning heavily on the safeties um, in run protection and what's nice is you do have the personnel elsewhere in the defense to be able to make up for um, any any sort of like tight end leaking out coverage um, you trust the lateral quickness of a J- jamie skalski and the athleticism that chad smith can give you um, where you're not as exposed by having tanner muse coming down and uh, attack the runner so i think like where clemson does have weakness there are some chess moves that venables can make to sort of you know kind of back that up with other personnel on the, on the defense without sacrificing something like pass protection ability or pass defense ability. It's yeah, definitely well, I, something worth watching. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he takes a different approach, knowing that there are different strengths from the previous couple of years with the defensive line being the clear front runner for who's leading the team defensively. Now that it's shifted to the secondary and the back seven, 
uh, does Venables change up the scheme a little bit, use a little bit more blitzes, move the safeties around a little bit more, do a little bit different kinds of coverage, um, you know, go more nickel, go less nickel. Like there's lots of things that he can do to switch it up to play to the strengths of the players that he's got this season. And we've seen that he's capable of, of making changes on the fly uh, throughout seasons. Like as the season progresses, he'll, he'll get to know who's contributing well throughout the season and, uh, and make tweaks, but it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. And I think it was a good call about using the safeties uh, in run defenses, especially Tanner Muse, the senior back there. Um, He's just gotten better and better as the years have gone on. I think we did this last year, but um, over under uh, two and a half targeting calls and and ejections for uh, Tanner Muse. Oh, that's a good line. That's a lot. I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under, but barely. Um, I'll go under just because they can review uh, targeting this year, I believe. Yeah. They, I think they've done that for a couple of years, but uh, they'll review. Yeah. Is it legit? Well, I think, I think the rule is this year that they can, I think previously, once you were thrown out, you were thrown out, but they could overturn it later and you wouldn't be suspended for the next game or something like that. And now they can bring you back. It's changed. I think it's changed for the better is what I'm recalling. Um, either way, Tanamuse is going to get at least one. <laughs> All right, yeah, it's definitely at least one. Um, I think otherwise, on this defense, guys, we haven't really mentioned the name Isaiah Simmons too much. Um, I think he, again, like almost calling him a breakout player this year is it's obvious. I think he broke out last year. Um, so certainly he's capable of taking another leap forward. I think we all remember what Dorian O'Daniel was able to do going from the championship team of 16 into the 2017 season. Largely his play propelled Clemson's defense up to the top, I think two in the nation and led us into the playoff for the third consecutive year. Um, That year, I think Simmons's ceiling is even higher than Dorian O'Daniel this year. And yeah, it gets a lot of credit for his pass coverage, but I think his toughness and one play in particular, I went back and watched the cotton bowl um, a play was snapped dead, but he actually wrestled the ball out of the hands of one of Notre Dame's running backs um, on like a swing pass play that he definitely ran in for six. Game would have been even more of a blowout at that point. Um, just showed his tenacity and toughness and strength. And um, anyway, coaches continue to rave about him. I think he's the MVP of this defense this year. I agree, definitely. I think he's going to be the next in line for our really fantastic linebackers. So you talked about Dorian O'Daniel already. Ben Bulwer came before that. But the difference between um, between Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons and those guys is that he has the physical tools to really excel and make it at the next level. And he has the experience coming in as a safety originally and making the transition to linebacker where he's a little bit stronger in pass coverage even than either of those two guys. So he's just, I think he's got all the tools to really have an amazingly strong season and be one of the top two or three linebackers in the country this year uh, and hopefully work himself into a high draft pick next year. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think he works himself into a first round draft pick this year. He could have gone last year and been a top four round draft pick probably. So super lucky that, that he came back, but um, you really saw him take off towards the middle and the end of the last season. It really all came around. So I think he's there and you're, uh, whereas he was still trying to catch up to learning that position last year. Again, it took Dorian O'Daniel a little while to get there, but um, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year. He's got 
not only the the, the smarts and the ability, uh, but just the stature, the physique, prototypical NFL body. Um, he's going to be a big player for us this year, and it's it's going to be good to help that linebacker core that turns over veteran guys um, in Trey Lamar um, and uh, Kendall Joseph and the the Davis twins being gone. You've got Skalski, Chad Smith moving in there, um, starters at the the Will and the Mike. Um, and so kind of tying that back into the run defense part of that, those guys are going to be better in pass coverage, but we can run defense than the, than the, than the two guys from last year. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of give and take there. I think the way Isaiah Simmons with his physicality can balance that, um, and helping with the run game as well. Um, I think will hopefully help mitigate that it does leave you a little bit of concern, um, about guys getting past the first level of the defense, if they would get past the second level, um, we're not going to be nearly as strong as we were last year in that case. But I think in, in past defense, they are going to be better. So, um, which is good because I don't think we're going to be perhaps dropping our ends back into pass coverage nearly as much as we did last year with Bryant and Farrell. So those guys being able to help out, you know, Trey Lamar wasn't really good against slot receivers. He just wasn't quick enough um, horizontally, um, had the more of a straight line speed. Uh, so these guys are an improvement over that. And they're veteran. Like, uh, Chad Smith is what a senior and Skalski has been on the team's third season now. Um, and he was injured last year. So, um, they've been here a while, so that's good, especially from linebackers, you know, Venables trust them. Yeah, Ben, I think it's interesting. You mentioned Skalski's a senior too. Richard junior. Yeah. Fourth year. Fourth year. Yeah, same thing. Uh, ben, you mentioned some of the depth questions at the cornerback position. And um, I actually feel like linebacker is a position that there may be more depth questions. I think you got some versatility there with what Mike Jones Jr. can give you, you know, in spelling Isaiah Simmons uh, when he needs it. But in terms of Skalski and Chad Smith, I feel like those two, for, just from who's behind them, looks like you go to Balen Spector and Jake Venables in terms of yeah. the depth chart. And, um, you know, pretty unproven, both of those. Uh, so it, it is something if you're kind of, you know, uh, knocking on wood for anybody, I think it, it is the health really across that linebacker core that we're really hoping for and could spell the, the ceiling of this defense for the season. Um, but yeah, it's something also that you hope we're playing a number of, you know, high margin football games to start to get some of the talented guys behind them a lot more reps and a lot more snaps. Well, I think the concerning thing with Spectre and Venables is that they missed a lot of camp with some injuries. Um, otherwise, you know, they've got experience. They've played before. They're, t they're talented guys. Um, you know, many me Venables back there. How can you not uh, be excited about that? Uh, but the, the kind of trade-off and the good part about that was is it got the true freshman a lot of experience in camp. Um, and the interesting thing is we've been talking about Levanta Bentley and Keith McGuire a lot. Um, coming out of fall camp, but the guy who, who turns out really has uh, made a move above them is Kane Patterson. And we haven't really talked about him a lot here lately up in the season. So that was interesting and a positive thing to see. And then of course, all the great things you're hearing about Keith McGuire and Levanta Bentley is going to be a good one too. So it's just a matter of how quickly they come along. Uh, yeah. So I guess in terms of opposing offenses, Ben, you talked about the passing attacks and potentially running backs uh, that could challenge this Clemson team. Um, in terms of like things like number of hundred yard rushers against us or where we see the ceiling of this team in terms of a national ranking of defense, 
Um, I think it's it'll be a lot. It'll be pretty difficult to top a top three defense that we had a season ago um, in S and P plus ranking. And then I think we looked it up. We didn't have any 100 yard rushers against Clemson last year. That is correct. I, I have a feeling you may see one or two of those this year, depending who we play and face in the playoff. I think if you're looking at a Georgia, and it remains to be seen what Alabama is able to produce this year, um, and or if AJ Dillon is able to go off. I just feel like if you try to make BC one dimensional and you you scheme up to stop an AJ Dillon, they don't have a Tua Tungavailoa or a even a, a Jake Fromm um, available there to to try to expose you. Uh, whereas it, it does get harder in the playoff, but. Um, I don't know. I think the ceiling, kind of having looked through what what the schematic kind of capabilities Brent Venables has at his disposal with a more athletic linebacker core and a lot more experience in the back seven, I do feel like a top 10 defense is in the cards. I'm not willing to write that off. So can we I want to first go back, um, add a little caveat to that top three defense from last year. Make no mistake, we had the best defense in the country by far last year. We were number three because we played so many guys uh, across the board. Had the first team stuck in there most of the game playing into the, the third and fourth quarters last year, we would have been far and away the number one defense in the country. And we were still great playing all those guys. Uh, second, uh, tie for second, giving up 13.7 points a game. Now, I think we're at least a touchdown worse than that this year, giving up closer to, to three touchdowns a game. And I would peg us, I would stretch it maybe a little bit and go top 15 defense. Um, with, you know, a top 10 being our ceiling, I could see us bottom out maybe in the top 20. Uh, but that's okay. Cause our offense is going to be the best. Yeah. I think the offense is really the, the fallback here, right? Even if we do hit your bottom there, Ben, and, and fall back to 20th in defensive rankings, we're going to have a top three, if not number one by a mile ranking for our offense so if we're scoring more than the 44 game we scored last year and we're giving up 20 to 22 25 even we're still winning games by 20 points so that obviously is there's going to be variability within that so it's not going to be every game but it it gives us a cushion right knowing that we can fall back on guys like trevor lawrence t higgins justin ross travis Etienne to score a bunch of points every game uh is going to help but i think I definitely would put us probably on track for a top 15 uh, pretty safely. I don't think we'll fall as low as 20th defensively, but there's, there's definitely possibilities that we could get up into the top five if a lot of these players that we talked about tonight develop and become helpful contributors, especially early on in the season. Uh, I think teams like Syracuse and AM early on in weeks two and three are going to be the ones that could potentially score more points than... Uh, like the South Carolinas at the end of the season. Those are three of our probably stronger offensive opponents, but I think we'll be better prepared for the South Carolina game than we will for um, Syracuse and Texas A&M. So if we're going to give up big point totals and just have a a shootout or two, I think early on we might see that happen if it's going to happen at all. Well, and let's not gloss over the fact that we play in the ACC and our schedule is absolute crap this year and i think that'll play into it just because i mean we're just the teams we're playing aren't that good i think where it's how good this defense um can end up being and i think this the ceiling or the floor is going to manifest itself um in, in the college football playoff and maybe acc championship game 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think September is not the time for us to know how great this defense can be and will be. Um, you can lose the season in September, though. And uh, I think that, that that is something, like, I, I don't know. Like, do you guys feel like anything in this Georgia Tech game can be telling for what we can expect in the, the following two weeks? Is there anything you're going to be looking for as keys in that game? Probably Darian Kendrick, how he holds up, if, whether it's in one on one or how much are they like fading a safety over to kind of back his side up. Um, I think it'll be pretty telling. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Let's let's see how Georgia Tech does passing the ball for the first time in a decade um, before we start worrying about Kendrick and what we're going to learn coming out of this game. Um, they need to focus on getting one yard at a time. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's going to be a ton to learn on the defensive side for us from the Georgia Tech game. It's a team that's never run, uh, you know, they've never run a non-triple option offense against D1 programs. Like they're not going to be ready with their offense in week one. So we'll see, you know, I think the offense will go off and we'll see a a ton of points scored, but defensively, I don't think we're going to learn a lot this week. What an excellent troll job by Paul Johnson. You know, he just does his thing for 11 years and then leaves, and everybody's like, oh, crap. How do we play real offense? <laughs> I guess, yeah. It's not Paul's problem anymore. So, guys, I, I mean, something that will obviously impact the, the ceiling and the projection of this team uh, is our favorite topic on this show, the special teams units. And let's keep it, Ben, in talking about field position and um, what what will really help a you know a somewhat green defensive line and a defense trying to get its footing with some new per- personnel in there starting and being proven uh, will be to be playing with long fields. Um, I think what you can really really expect is the offense to be explosive. I think it remains to be seen if this offense can be as efficient as it's been in the past. Um, and my hope is if you are sort of trading. Uh, sustained drives for home run balls um, that we're not starting to see that manifest in shorter fields for the defense because that can be a little bit of a, a vicious cycle there. Um, but I have every right to believe that or every every reason to believe that we should actually see the punting game in and of itself um, start to flip the field, hopefully to the tune of five to 10 yards, a better field position for this team. Well, declare, you do have every right as well to believe that, um, Tully. <laughs> Um, if you believe in free will. Um, yeah, I, we're not worried about the field position when it comes to kickoffs. We know BT Potter is going to put him out of the end zone as he did much of last year. Uh, so, yeah, it really comes down to uh, Will Spires in the punting game. Dabo says he's getting better. I've never seen him be really good. Um, but if I'm going to believe what Dabo says about um, these other players having how much they've improved, then I need to believe him about Will Spires until um, proven otherwise. Apparently, he had a good national championship game. I don't recall that no, standing did. out to me. Yeah, he was, definitely did. Was he rugby punting? Like what? I think it was a it looked rugby-ish, but he it was quality. Let's put it that way. Um, we didn't punt a lot in that game, but when they did, there's definitely a lot of first half punts. Not a lot. Uh, there were two or three first half punts. Okay, so, yeah, they were good. I'll uh, I'll take your word for it there. But yeah, no, it, it, the field position battle is going to be much more of a big deal. It wasn't a big deal last year because uh, we just had those those great starters on defense, and, and in particular the defensive line. Um, we've mentioned yeah, this. Before. We've yeah, mentioned. I, go ahead. Okay. 
I was just going to say, I remember in games where we actually, I keep, I try to keep track when I look at game recaps of hidden guards and like our, our relative field position to our opponent's relative field position. And I remember there were a lot of games last year where we had a much worse starting field position than opponents. And it did not matter when you're getting three and outs from a, a dominant pass rush and tackles for loss that just flipped it, you know, forced them to punt right away. Like it didn't matter that we were playing with short fields this year. It would. So yes, Spires had a 50 something yard punt last year, 55. Okay. All right. Attaboy. Um, yeah, I'm not worried about our offense being able to be, be, uh, you know, set with a long field. I'm more worried about opposing offenses having a short field. If you'll recall last year when we were subbing people so much, we would bring in the second string guys as early as the second quarter, sometimes late in the first quarter, about the fourth, uh, third or fourth drive. And, you know, they would give up some ground. And as soon as the team crossed midfield, we brought the first team guys back in and we, we stopped them stone cold. We're not going to have that luxury this year. We're breaking, a, uh, uh, breaking in four new starters. So um, that field position is going to matter. We don't want teams to, average their, to have their average starting field position at like the 30 or the 35 or the 40 coming off of punts. We need Spires to really be able to drive the ball and, and set the defense up for success because when you are trying to plug some holes, overcome some weaknesses, that field position does matter. I think the big thing for the punting and special teams in general for us this year is that they can't hurt us. Um, if, if Spires is punting at 45 yards every time, not necessarily booming it, but getting solid punts out there, that's what's important. If he has those little 20-yard dinkers off the side of his foot that go out of bounds at the 50, that's a problem, right? Um, I don't think we necessarily need excellence uh, and you know, being the best punting or uh, special teams coverage or whatever piece of the special teams we're looking at. It doesn't have to be the best in the country, but it needs to be consistent and it needs to not screw us over and put us in positions where the defense is in jeopardy and teams are starting at the 40 or the 50 um, or in our own territory, right? Yeah, yeah if he can just simply limit the shanks and exactly. average, average 40 yards a punt, we're good. We're gold. Exactly. I'll take that all day long. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, flipping to the, the times when Clemson is fielding punts and fielding kickoffs, um, personnel-wise, it'll be interesting. I think we're going to have Darian Kendrick uh, fielding punts. And then in the kick return game, uh, do you guys know who's, who are going to be the top two there? Uh, Kendrick, uh, Kendrick is one. Uh, Nagata, um, Powell uh, will return some. Maybe Lindsay Dixon, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, the interesting thing is... Um, on kickoff returns, Clemson has not had a touchdown on a kickoff return since 2011 with Sammy Watkins. Isn't that crazy? It's been a long time. DJ Spiller used to run every other kickoff back. <laughs> so for, for week one, just to clarify, uh, punt return, Darian Kendrick with Will Sweeney backing him up, and kickoff <laughs> return, Kendrick and Nagata are listed as the returners. There's some nepotism. <laughs> yeah, and the strategy in the playoff was touchbacks. Secure hands. Security uh, yeah. attacks on every or fair catches, I should say, on the kickoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm cool with that. I mean, this offense with a 75 yard field all set. Um, we'll we'll see though. If this is a less efficient offense. Maybe you do take a crack at Ngata or Cornell Powell or Kendrick even um housing one. But yeah, I think also in the in the punt return game, Amari Rogers obviously is not gonna be uh, suiting up for those duties. I doubt he even will when he returns from his uh, his 
ACL. ACL. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, let's keep him upright, keep him healthy, and hopefully returning back before um, before the Florida State game. But anyway, I yeah, I think, again, like that's another, when you think about the field position battle, um, I think Darian can, can make a huge impact there and help himself out with the defense. Yeah. Um, so lastly, uh, the field goal unit, kicking field goals, obviously hasn't been a strong suit in the past couple of years, but it'll be interesting to see what Potter can do this year. Apparently he's done well in practice. You want the guy to be consistent within the 40. Um, he's going to be able to stretch the field uh, more so than we have in the past couple of years. You know, he could probably boom a 60-yard field goal. <laughs> do we expect him to do that with high accuracy? No, but I think it's really going to open up the field goal game between the, the, the between 40 and 50 yards. Honestly, guys, that's my number one hope for this Georgia Tech game after health. Health, number one hope. Number two hope, get BT Potter some field goal experience. That's the type of thing that you can't really you – know, there's no – like the it's a level playing field, I guess, from the defense and from the opponent. Um, Georgia Tech, he can get some experience there because we may be in a one-possession game late against A&M or against Syracuse in a pivotal moment where um, those extra three points, six points, nine points um, can establish the type of lead or you know shorten a deficit for this offense to do its thing. Um, I just think it's going to be critical for him to have some of his best kicks early on in the season and then progress, learn, get that experience, get that confidence as we head into postseason play. So just to clarify, your, your first and second hopes from this game is good health, got that on board. Second is BT Potter kicking field goals. I don't honestly don't think we'll be kicking a lot of field goals against Georgia Tech or at all this year, but we'll, you know, okay. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Second half, when we're up 49 to nothing at half, like second half, let's just shut the drives down and kick field goals. Well, Chase don't Price put, is disappointed in you. Yeah, Tell and you. Tyson Pumachan, I want to see those guys in there. Those guys are going to take that personally and go out and just throw for like 40-yard touchdowns every drive just to spite you. Ben Batson's got to get on the scoreboard in the, in the stat column. I welcome all of those contributions. Uh, I want to see BT swinging the leg. Well, he'll get lots of kickoff practice. It's true. Um, all right. Well, guys, why don't we flip it to sort of a, a season roundup prediction time for this Clemson team accolades? Um, I guess maybe before we do that, we could talk through the schedule itself um, before we get into our predictions for uh, for records and things of that nature. Uh, we've already touched a little bit on early season uh, Thursday night game, then nine days of rest uh, Thursday night against Georgia Tech, nine days of rest until Texas A&M. Thankfully, that's also a home game. Um, last year was a very hostile environment at College Station. We will be the host this time. Then Clemson, in addition to, I know, Ben, you're going to aim to go to this game. We head it back up to upstate New York for Syracuse on the road. Um, thoughts on this game, guys? Like That has been, since they joined the ACC, a tricky spot for Clemson to play. Um, it is sponsored by an air conditioning company, but often it is super hot inside that building. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't uh, say a lot of good things about the uh, the carrier as a HVAC company. Um, maybe they're just focusing on focusing on the heating side up there in Syracuse. Uh, but yeah, I will be at that game, so I will get to experience that um, immense oppressive heat firsthand. Um, this is going to be a big game, and you know, I was thinking maybe they'd 
take more of a step back with Dungy leaving, but Tommy DeVito is a more talented quarterback. And I think the, um, a big factor here is Dino Babers. He's a great football coach. We've seen enough from him and another good season out of him at Syracuse. And he could be gone next year uh, for an SEC school with some turnover um, or some other big name program in the country, because I, I think he's the real deal. Um, and I think because of those things, um, I mentioned to, uh, in addition to the defensive ends that I mentioned early, or the secondary returns for starters. Um, and, they got a great receiving core. So I think all those things combined on the road, um, you know, playing there two years ago on a Friday night did not uh, work out so well for us. So this is going to be a tough game. I, I think that I would put this one, I would consider this one a tougher game than at home against Texas A&M the week before. I don't know if I agree with that last point, Ben, but I think Syracuse is definitely going to be tough. And if it comes down to a close game, uh, Schmidt, their kicker, is one of the best in the country. It's not somebody that we want to put uh, BT Potter up against one-on-one. If it comes down to field goal kicks, uh, we're not going to win the battle against Syracuse, more than likely. So hopefully our team is able to have a you know bigger lead and it doesn't come down to a one possession game where we're relying on Potter or special teams to win it. But uh, the secondary is going to be a good test for us because uh, Syracuse with Sis- Andre Sisco is one of the best defensive backs in the country. And it'll be a good challenge for our receiving core to see if, uh, if we play players that are NFL caliber like Cisco. And I think they have one other guy on, on the, in the secondary that's supposed to be fantastic that, you know, how they perform against that, that high quality opponent. You know, another good point I just thought of, Sam, as you were mentioning that about the field goals, uh, losing all those guys in the defensive line too, that's going to affect our field goal defense unit. Uh, we blocked a lot of field goals last year, if I recall correctly. Um, so missing those guys, Christian Wilkins and uh, Dexter Lawrence, for sure. Um, we're not going to block as many kicks this year. Um, so it's just all these little things to think about that comes with, losing all that talent across the defensive line. But yeah, um, no, I, I still view this as a harder game than Texas A&M just because, again, Texas A&M snuck up on us a little bit last year. Jimbo Fisher um, installing his system there as a first-year coach. Um, and we just didn't have the tape on, on those teams yet. Um, fortunately, uh, Sternberger is gone from Texas A&M, the tight end that killed us last year. Um, but either way, there are going to be two tough back-to-back games. This is the toughest stretch in our schedule um, until we get to the end. Yeah, I think it's nice to have those nine days rest between Georgia Tech and Texas A&M, work through any kinks, get a little bit more rest for the team. I think Texas A&M will also have uh, the same. They play a game on Thursday night next week or this week too. Uh, So they'll have the equal amount of rest on their side. Uh, Agreed, this is the toughest stretch of the season, which is you know, kind of ironic getting through it by week three. Um, from there, Charlotte is the following week. And really from this stretch, this is kind of another chapter of the season. You got Charlotte and then Clemson travels to North Carolina, then back to Clemson for Florida State after a bye week. Um, it sort of goes back and forth from there um, with Louisville and then with Boston College. Any games in this stretch, guys, that stand out to you as potentially challenging? I think like in three, four years ago, this stretch we would have circled as, you know, UNC won the Coastal, Florida State is Florida State, Louisville under the Lamar Jackson, Bobby Petrino team era was tricky and tough. And, you know, I think on Clemson's schedule, we've got something like 
six teams with first year head coaches that we're facing. Um, Charlotte's got a new head coach, Georgia Tech, UNC, Louisville. Um, South Carolina hasn't fired its coach yet, but you know, that <laughs> might be a thing. So, yeah. Uh, and, you know, Willie Taggart's second year head coach. He's basically, this is his like year one of that whole regime and program. Um, I kind of view this as this, this, this is where the most disappointment lies in the ACC stretch of our schedule. And I would say BC, even though that's a home game for Clemson, that's probably my number one toughest game in that stretch. Yeah. I think it's BC and Florida State are the two that stand out to me. UNC, I'm not concerned about really. Louisville, without Lamar Jackson, has never been that good. Uh, and he's been gone for a few years now. So they're not going to be super threatening. Uh, Florida State, if they pull things together, could be a challenge. If they figure out in year two of the Willie Taggart system, he's been known to turn programs around pretty quickly. So, you know, this may be the season that they kind of break out and figure things out and play well. James Blackman is a solid quarterback. He had a great freshman year uh, before playing limited minutes last year. But uh, BC with AJ Dillon is, is probably the most concerning given our, our depth chart and where we're, we're confident. Uh, he's going to really test that defensive line that, that we've talked so much about. Yeah, I think that the interesting things that stand out to me, um, you know, North Carolina is interesting in the fact that um, you've got Mac Brown uh, coming as the head coach. He's won a national championship. He knows how to win. Um, so I think there's going to be a level of professionalism at, at North Carolina that you maybe haven't seen in a while. Um, and it's something that he brings to the ACC. They've got uh, FSU transfer uh, freshman Sam Howell, possibly starting at quarterback, a talented guy. Um, they bring over the former offensive line coach from Ole Miss. Ole Miss has, has done well the past couple of years. Um, I don't think they're going to be a challenge, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how those things shake out. Florida State, uh, this, Taggart could be gone after two years. They are bringing in Kendall Bryles to run the offense. Uh, you mentioned Blackman, Sam. He's a good quarterback. He's an experienced quarterback. He's still kind of a beanstalk, not a big uh, – doesn't – have a lot of weight on him to be able to withstand a lot of hits. We'll see how that goes. Their offensive line was terrible last year. It doesn't look to be much better this year. That's uh, the crease. Like yeah, Kendall Bryles, really he, yeah. he, he brings some interesting dynamic there. And they do have a talented receiving core. You mentioned James Blackman. He's got a solid arm. And despite the Trey Lamar play that is etched in all of our minds, like he actually stands in there pretty well in the pocket. Um, but yeah, if, if they can't improve that protection, even... They were just abysmal. They were like worst all-time offensive line. If they can get that to even what we would all consider to be a bad O-line, I still think what Kendall Bryles can do in tempo and um, potentially rolling Kendall, with rolling uh, Blackman out, I think they can survive that. I'm, I don't think they'll threaten Clemson at all. I think we're not really looking at any of these teams as being able to compete with the talent of Clemson this year. I think it's just like one of the most intriguing storylines for me throughout the whole season for us and our future is what is Florida State's state of the program on National Signing Day this coming year? Yeah, Are, and you, yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, you. I mean, you guys talked about in the, in the with the STS guys in the last episode. Where does that end up, and the, how does that affect current coaches at Clemson? Interesting talking point we can revisit after the season if Taggart is fired. There, he, there wasn't a lot of fanfare with Taggart coming in. He had a horrible year last year. We'll see how it goes this year. Um, if Blackman goes down, I don't know who they have backup quarterback with Hal going to UNC and you know, other guys leaving and whatever. So we'll see. I just don't. I don't think this is the year Florida State makes the turnaround. Um, switching over to Louisville, 
yeah, the only interesting thing there is Scott Satterfield coming over from App State. App State has been a really good program. He built a, a good thing there. Um, but otherwise, they've got questions uh, at quarterback, and uh, the defense was terrible last year. Boston College, I think we, we throw that in there as an interesting game because of Dylan. Um, they do replace both of their coordinators. They return only two starters on defense. They do bring in Richard Jurgen from Clemson as a defensive end. Um, and I mentioned previously returning only four starters on offense. So this could be a Dazio. He could be on the hot seat this year. Um, I really don't see them being a challenge. No, I think you're right. I think it's just like we got to have a default ACC team that schematically, like, I think Boston College gets tons of, you know, oh, they're going to have a good defense and a pesky running game. And, like, yeah, sometimes that plays out, other times not as much. That's kind of their identity under Adasio in particular. Um, I've got a bunch of friends who went to school there and are big fans, and they're, they want him out of there. And who knows if, who knows what type of season this year it'll take. Uh, I think expectations are, are low. And, it, since he has so much turnover, I mean, I guess you stuck with the guy this long. I'd give him another year, see what he can do getting this this year's team some experience. Um, you're not going to judge him based on that Clemson game. But I, I don't know. Potentially, that could be a letdown spot for Clemson. Um, I'm not saying there's like a murder's row of games around that stretch. You got Louisville, who's in complete rebuild mode right before that. The cupboards are completely bare from a talent standpoint. Um, and then you have Wofford the week after that. I don't know. Like, I... I there's something about that BC game that sticks out to me. Is that homecoming? That's homecoming. I think it's homecoming. Hmm. Yeah, it could be. It's right before uh, Halloween. Not that that affects things. I, I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see it. Um, yeah. And then, you know, after, after Wofford, you got NC State. They're breaking in a new quarterback with Ryan Finley leaving. Um, that, that game doesn't, you know, usually NC State, yeah, gives you a little a little positive concern, but not, not this year. I really don't think things pick back up after that. After that early stretch out of Syracuse, it is really kind of a dud in the middle of the season until we get to the Wake Forest game, um, which I know people don't usually think of Wake Forest as a threat, at least in recent years. But they hold the longest bowl game winning streak in the ACC um, with three. Um, I feel like you should throw out our loss to Alabama in the college football playoff. Um, but had a good offense last year. Um, they've got junior Jamie Newman as their starting quarterback over sophomore Sam Hartman, two guys that might go back and forth and might get later in the season before they settle that. Um, they do have some turnover on the interior line, but feeling a lot better about their defense. It was pretty banged up last year. So I think that's when the competition starts to pick back up, which is weird to say it's Wake Forest. That's a home game, but, uh, offense. Yeah. 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 Dave Klaus is a solid coach. It's a, it's going to be a massive talent deficit. Like, you know, number of stars difference is ridiculously disparate, but, um, it's funny. We seem to always play Wake in November, but I guess last year we played them a little earlier than that, but, we tend to always get them as our last ACC game, which is really interesting. And you can almost use like a feisty wake team a little earlier in this season schedule. Um, I think they probably will be one of the like three toughest opponents out of the Atlantic for us this year. Um, so I don't know, I guess I mean, somebody has got to be. Yeah. <laughs> by default. Um, and then right after wake, we, we have our second bye week of the year. This isn't any type of change in college football scheduling, although I know some stuff is being considered. This just has to do with where Thanksgiving lands in the yeah. 
calendar year. Um, so the South Carolina game is not until November 30th this year, pushing the ACC title game into the, like, I guess the 6th of December um, this year. But we get a bye week before South Carolina. I think that's going to be beneficial to Clemson. Um, ben, you talked about what their offense was able to do against uh, probably a distracted or restful Clemson defense a year ago, but they do return Bentley. They return a lot of talent on offense. Um, so that South Carolina game could certainly be a test for the defense heading into postseason play. I know they love nothing better than to upset us in Columbia, not seeing it this year. I think the streak goes to six, but I don't know. Paint me the picture where I'm wrong. So on paper, I would say this is our toughest regular season game of the year. Now, that being said, while Muschamp has probably his most talented team that he's had in South Carolina, he's got the toughest schedule that he's faced so far. It's a brutal schedule. Um, they get Alabama this year at home. They're at Georgia. Um, you know, just a handful of other. They finally kind of get that SEC schedule. Um, that is going to give them some trouble that comes around every so often, often because they play in the SEC East. Um, we talked about Bentley and all the guys on offense they have coming back. They do lose Debo Samuel. Um, uh, on the defense, we talked about who they have coming back there. So I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of talent on this team. They do lack some depth in the secondary, but there's certainly a lot of talent there and guys who are experienced and have played together for a long time. The question for them is by the time it gets to our game, are they completely uh, just taken out of it uh, because of the tough grind of the season they're going to be facing? It's still a rivalry game at home. Of course, if we're undefeated at that point, there's nothing they'd rather do um, than beat us and, and knock us off our high horse there. But they could be demoralized as well. And again, Clemson's still a really good football team and is, you know, it's tough a schedule they have in the SEC. Clemson's still the best team on their schedule. I think they're definitely going to be one of our tougher games in the regular season. They have, Ben, you mentioned it, they have an extremely challenging schedule this season. Uh, South Car Carolina plays Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, and us during the regular season, uh, which is pretty brutal. But the thing for them that kind of works in their favor, and it's ours as well, Tully, you mentioned we have a bye week coming into that that game as do they so there's less bowl bowl game bowl bowl eligibility there's a good chance that that game's going to really matter to them not just because it's a rivalry game and they want to beat us and rub our noses in it uh, but also because they may need that sixth win because they've played such a tough schedule i think they'll be fine for bowl eligibility they're a very talented offensive team ben you talked about all the players that they've got coming back they're super talented offensively. Defensively, less so, but uh, I think they're going to be a great warm-up test for us going into the postseason for the defense. We'll really get a good chance to see how well everyone has developed throughout the season and play against a very seasoned quarterback in Bentley, a running back in Feaster who knows everything about our offense and defense pretty much, at least coming into this year. Um, anything we develop during the season, he'll obviously not be privy to, but that's that's two very talented players that know what they're doing. They're essentially professional players already. They're both going to get drafted uh, and try to make careers in the NFL. The receiving core for South Carolina is pretty decent. Ben, you mentioned they lost Samuel, but 
I, I think I don't think we're going to lose this game, but I definitely think it's going to be a good challenge for the defense, and it may be one of the higher scoring games our defense deals with during the season. Who would you say is getting drafted again? Uh, Feaster and probably Bentley will probably both go somewhere in the draft. And Bentley ain't getting drafted. Feaster has to have a good year to end up being a. They're both going to at least be trying six. to make pro pro rosters next that, year. Yes, yes, that is true. I think. Easter ceiling, maybe a fifth round draft pick. We'll see. Um, I can see him falling out as well, depending on how his season goes. Um, but still at the college level, um, well, I think what Bentley did against us last year speaks for itself. And we're still fond of Feaster and know he's, knows he's a talented guy. But you read up all these names and these guys have experience and they are talented. So it, it, it surely could be a fight, especially Sam, as you mentioned, if for some reason they're fighting to become bowl eligible. Um, yeah, that's enough about the Gamecocks guys. Um, I think we're <laughs> expecting a, uh, a 12 and 0 Clemson run here. Uh, they might get got in one of those, those first two matchups against Texas A&M or Syracuse. I guess the doomsday scenario for us as Clemson fans is that you do drop a game to Syracuse and they go flawless the rest of the way. And we're on the outside looking in, in the Atlantic. I think the benefit of that, you know, again, terrible scenario. We don't want that. We very much do not want that. But Alabama has not won their division in the past, and they have made it to the college football playoff. They've missed their championship game, therefore they didn't win a championship, and they made it in. Uh, tough doing that in the ACC, though. So I think it would, re- it would really put to the test the strength of Clemson's brand and how good Clemson would need to look then from a style point standpoint uh, the rest of the season in its games. And people would have to be really convinced that the defense could hold up to elite talent. He couldn't beat Syracuse. How are you going to beat Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma? Valid question. So um, anyway, I could see that being a, a real season killer for us. Uh, but that said, you know, Syracuse would have to go pretty flawless after that. I, they could actually lose one and still win the Atlantic. Um, but yeah, thoughts on, thoughts on yeah. that? No, I think, a, I think a loss to Syracuse is detrimental um simply because look at their ACC schedule they're at NC State home versus Pitt at Florida State home versus Boston College at Duke at Louisville home versus Wake they're not losing two of those no that's not a murderous road yeah it's they're just not Dino Babers isn't losing two of those maybe at Duke uh could be a tough game um I don't know yeah that when you put it that way that Syracuse game becomes really really important yes so uh don't don't Overlook that game. Um, certainly A&M is going to have all of our attention and focus as a football team and as fans, but um, we win that one. You know, got to gear up for the next week. Uh, but, you know, let's, let's say Clemson is able to vanquish them and get through this schedule. Uh, when we look across to the Coastal, I think everyone is predicting Virginia. They bring a lot back. You already mentioned that, Ben. Um, Bryce Perkins is their quarterback. He looked pretty strong last year. They blanked South Carolina in the Belk Bowl 28 to nothing. Uh, they nearly won the Coastal last year. They had just a comedy of errors game against Virginia Tech in the Commonwealth Cup last year to basically lose the Coastal. Pitt went on to win in like tiebreak fashion, and we know what happened against Pitt. Um, we got revenge for 2016, but um, in any event, I don't know about Virginia. I think like I, I, I hear what people are saying. I just don't know that they have the talent level uh, to to really, you know, challenge too many people. If it is Virginia, I think it'll be Virginia with like a seven and five record. 
Um, but I actually, I don't know, guys, this might be an unpopular pick. I'm feeling Miami for this one. And yes, I did watch all four quarters of that Florida game in week zero. Um, I think they've got a solid quarterback there. They have a first-year coach, a lot of coachable moments in that game, a lot of mistakes that they made, a lot of dumb penalties. I think all that can be corrected. And what we're talking about here is as bad as you might think Florida is and how undeserving they are in number eight ranking, they're, all they got to do is win five or six coastal games here, and they're, and they're basically in. So um, I don't know. I'm feeling Miami. And that's yeah. basically a talent thing. I, I still have to think it's Virginia. I think what they did to South Carolina in the bowl game last year does matter. Uh, again, Bryce Perkins coming back. He had a great year last year. They did lose a lot of weapons on offense, but they have some guys they can look to to replace them with. And the defense held opponents to 20 points a game. And re- they're returning eight starters on that defense. Um, so I think they're a more rounded team maybe than Miami. Uh, they don't have a, a stupid turnover chain to distract them. Is Miami still doing that? Oh, yeah. They also have touchdown rings. Oh, touchdown rings. Yes. Is that like to replace championship rings? We got natty rings. We won't be getting those. Um, yeah. That's a two-part kind of brass knuckle type ring. You score a touchdown, you put on the rings. That sounds like something mm. South Carolina would do. But the brass knuckle part of it is also something it sounds like Miami would do. <laughs> You would think there'd be a culture change at some point at that godforsaken university, but there's not a damn coach out there that seems willing to do it. So I think for me from the coastal, what I'm just hoping for is that somebody has a strong season and comes out and gives us a good challenge in the ACC championship game, Uh, whether that's Miami or Virginia or someone else. Uh, what we can hope for is a strong opponent that will test us, but not beat us. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's, we want to come out unscathed, uh, but tested. And you know, we need someone to pressure test and, and poke holes in, in where there are holes in our offense and our defense and, and hope that our coaching staff can then take those things and improve the team before a playoff appearance, you know if that's so, what we get. You know, it's so funny, guys. Like, we, I don't think we had that last year after the Syracuse game. Like, I don't think there was a single test. Now, that said, this is a different team in a different state of – of the program with all of the new talent on the defensive side. I think you're right, Sam, you want to be challenged by potentially a capable offense that is going to give you a flavor of what an elite unit is going to look like when you face in the playoffs. I, I guess I echo your sentiment. I hope that we do face someone like a dynamic quarterback from Miami. That's really figured it out firing on all cylinders. And we've got to face that and beat that. Or um, I don't know that the coastal has a dominant running game throughout that, that division, that will challenge, um, you know, or give you an approximation of Georgia, let's say, or even a, you know, a shadow of Georgia. But I think, yeah, I, I share that same hope. So to y'all's, to y'all's point real quick um, about being challenged, I think last year it didn't matter so much that we weren't challenged throughout the season just because of the huge vet, veteran presence uh, and on defense and the immense talent on offense. I think it does matter this year. Um, uh, because we are breaking in so many new guys in the defense, at least from the defensive side of the ball. So um, I think that will have a detrimental effect. Is it a, 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 a crucial um, or I don't, what am I trying to say? You're trying to say, is it mandatory for us to win a championship that we'd be challenged in the ACC title game? A critical flaw? I don't know. I think we need to be challenged. It'd be nice. It would be nice to be challenged on defense. We are not going to be challenged on defense for the most part, I don't think. Um, but we'll see how it plays out. 
Yeah, I think Clemson's going six in a row against South Carolina, five in a row at the ACC level. Really, it's it comes down to talent and it comes down to experience. And I don't see a defense on that side that's going to slow down Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and the offensive side combined with any type of... like. Basically, if we had to face Syracuse again, I would say it'd be a lot harder to beat Syracuse twice than it would be a coastal team yeah. on that side of the ball. We can get into our predictions here, what, where we see expectations for this team throughout the year. I'm feeling personally, if you're really good about 13 and 0, 28 and 0. Um, and I need to go back and look up when the last time we had a 28 and 0 team was. I think if, if you do get to that point, though, you're going to start seeing just the target on Clemson's back in a big way. Already, teams are going to get up and they're going to give Clemson their best shot. But I think it just becomes a different national narrative when you're playing for like all time accolades like that. And, um, you know, you heard all the SEC chatter in the offseason this year. That is all going to ratchet up several notches throughout the year here if we get into the 28 0 territory. Yeah. So I'm going 45 and 0 just, just for the record. But we'll look at this season. I, I think 12 and 0 is easily doable uh, with that Syracuse game for me being the trickiest one. Um, I think, I don't think there's an opponent the ACC Coastal can put up there that really matches us in our talent level. Even though we have guys, uh, young guys replaced on defense, they did play and participate in the college football playoff. Um, and ACC championship games last year. So there is a bit of experience, uh, big game experience to play off of this year. Um, and I didn't do it last year. I thought, I think I predicted a couple losses, one or two losses, maybe in the regular season. And, um, I'm not going to this year. I'm going to say going undefeated to the regular season. I hate to just pile on and make us sound like complete homers, but I am also going to go 12 and a regular season with an ACC championship victory. I'm not going to pick the playoff because you never know what's going to happen with matchups and injuries and whatever else. Uh, but I feel pretty good about our chances if we make it that far. Um, and, but I do think 13 and 0 is going to happen. I already said 45 and 0, so I, I think that answers the this year question. Yeah, I mean, I, I would entertain, if you guys are up for it, the matchup discussion in the playoff. I already dove into that in an entire show with Ryan, Cantor, and Tom Dianora. Um, but I like Clemson's chances matching up about against just about any contender. I think the units that give me the most pause would be Georgia's running game and we got to see what we get from Alabama regrouping on some of the losses they had in their front, in their front on the defensive side. But um, Alabama, like can Clemson run the football against Alabama is sort of the other question mark. Um, and I guess you could say Tua still gives me a little bit of concern, but other than that, I like, I like our chances against any of the kind of would be fourth seed opponents, fourth or even third seed opponents um, throughout the country. So who do you have in that fourth slot? If, are, you yeah, predict, are, you, are you predicting Clemson, Bama, Georgia, and a plus one? I think it, the most likely outcome is that it's Clemson, Bama, Georgia. Like, like I think Georgia can easily run the table. I think Alabama is going to get benefit of the doubt. I think Clemson will run the table. So um, when we talked about it on the preview show, I think we all made the case or we concluded that Michigan, from a combination of path and talent, uh, and Ohio State not being up to the task to do it with a first-year quarterback and a first-year head coach. Um, we had Michigan in there, but I actually am bullish on Oklahoma making it. It really just comes down to what you believe in J how much you believe in Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts is a leader. 
And I think you won't need him to be otherworldly as a quarterback to get out of that Big 12 unscathed this year. I think Texas is fool's gold. So I actually feel like OU could get back to the playoff this year. Um, so I'm going Clemson, Bama, Georgia as well. I think this, the Bama, Georgia duo over there in the uh, SEC is still really strong. LSU maybe has a shot as an outsider there too. Um, I don't believe in Michigan until I see Jim Harbaugh do something there. Um, I do wonder about, I want to wait to see Justin Fields play um, in significant minutes to know what we're going to get out of him. Uh, not sold on Jalen Hurts with Oklahoma. Oklahoma does have an easy schedule, um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going with Utah and Kyle Willing- Whittingham in that, in that fourth slot. Um, I think they have a good path to winning the Pac-12 this year. I think they, they make it in, and then they get their butts beat, and we forget about, about the Pac-12 for another three years. I thought you were going to pull a Lee Corso and pick them to beat us in the, in the semis. I'm not an idiot, Telly. <laughs> He's also, just senile. You're only half senile. I'm not, uh, I'm not that either. <laughs> um, I had Utah as my dark horse. I agree. I, I like their team this year. I think they can get out of the Pac-12 South um, and, and the Pac-12 overall. I think going on the road to Washington is their big test. And then, of course, whoever they face in that championship game. Strength of the Pac-12 is in the North, but I definitely see Oregon and Washington potentially cannibalizing each other and Mike Leach and Wazoo tends to always upset somebody. So um, anyway, I think like as Clemson fans, our schedule is going to be pretty boring down the stretch. So we're going to need to look nationally for some storylines and excitement. And uh, I think the Pac-12 is going to deliver on that this year. Yeah. I I would like to see a Pac-12 make it in Pac-12 team, make it in this year. I just don't trust any of them. I think I'm going to go Clemson, Bama, and I'm going to stray a little bit from Georgia being the third one automatically. There's definitely a good shot they make it. Uh, but Ben, you mentioned LSU. Uh, I think this is going to be a year where they they upset some people. And I think Georgia and Alabama uh, both have pretty – actually, this year there's actually an argument for them having ridiculous schedules because they've, they've both got uh, a number of tremendously hard games. Uh, they're kind of doing the opposite of what we're doing this year. Um, but they do have a plenty, plenty of cupcakes in there as well. So we'll see what happens. But I'm going to go Clemson, Bama, uh, LSU. And I think my fourth one, I'm going to go Ohio State. Um, I think Justin Fields is going to be as good as advertised. I think once he gets in there, uh, he's you know he was rated higher than Trevor Lawrence by some rating systems. And we've seen what Trevor's done. People can't be that stupid, right? They can't, they can't overrate him. Uh, that tremendously. So I, he's not going to be as good as Trevor, uh, but I think he's going to be a really solid starting quarterback for them, and they should have a good year. I love the uh, coach, the coach Olove in LSU. You know, everybody was down on him, didn't think he should get the job, but he's done a great job there. Yeah, they're they're fantastic to watch. He's a lot of fun. Uh, he's impossible to understand, but that's part of the fun. I got to hear your scenario for how do you see them winning the SEC West and Alabama just gets in because because of their Alabama. Yeah, I think I think Alabama's going to probably blow everyone else out. They're going to essentially knock Georgia out. LSU probably beats Georgia as well uh, in this scenario. So okay. Okay. LSU takes the SEC and then Bama gets in based on being Bama. I see. All right. Um cool. Well, <laughs> those are our predictions. I guess guys uh, we didn't do this earlier. Give me your 
breakout player across Clemson and give me your team MVP this season? Ben. Uh, um, uh, well, well, let's go off his defense. Um, I'll do Trevor Lawrence offensive end MVP. I think that's a no brainer. Uh, defensive MVP going, uh, I'm actually going Xavier Thomas. I think he's going to, I think the coaches uh, made a point uh, to him in, uh, in August camp and over the off season. And I think he's going to be a phenomenal player this year, very disruptive force in the, in the past uh, in past defense, but also uh, I hope to see him develop in the rushing game. I know I'm going a little bit on the limb here. Most people are going to say Isaiah Simmons, maybe Terrell, but I'm going to say Thomas um, breakout on offense. Um, I think Nagata is the easy choice. Like he's just, I think he already is a great uh, uh, wide receiver. We haven't even seen him play yet from everything we're hearing. Um, Jackson Carmen. So I'm going to go break out on offense, Jackson Carmen. And then on defense, James Galski, not a household name, even amongst Clemson fans. Uh, but I think by the end of the year, he will be. Okay. I'm glad you, you went with your picks on offense and defense the way you did, Ben, because I was worried we were going to have all three the same things. I'm going to go Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I really want to go Travis Etienne on that because I think he is going to be fantastic again this year. But I think Lawrence is going to throw for somewhere around 40-plus touchdowns and potentially win the Heisman. So it's going to be impossible to pick against that. Uh, defensively, I am going to go Isaiah Simmons. I think we're going to see him vault himself up into a first-round draft pick and just be the world-breaker on defense that everyone is talking about uh, as a, a possibility. So for my breakout player, I'm going to go uh, DeAndre Overton. I think he's going to have a great year in the slot and in that sort of pseudo tight end, pseudo slot receiver role as a big guy. And uh, on defense, I'm going to go with um, – I think I'm going to go with Chad Smith. I think he's sort of been a, a contributor in the past, but I think he's going to have a really strong year uh, at linebacker. Who's your defensive MVP, Sam? Uh, Simmons. I see. Isaiah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, uh, offensive MVP, when I think about the definition of this accolade, it is most valuable and the guy where you'd have the most drop off if you were to be replaced by his backup. I'm going Travis Etienne. I think, you know, we love TL. I agree. He's going to have a hell of a year and he's probably the best player in college football. Uh, Urban Meyer is right. That being said, I think Travis Etienne is this team's most valuable. And um, where he goes, this team will go largely. So I'm going with, with ETN. Um, Breakout-wise, Ben, I like the Carmen pick. I, I, I'm, te I'm tempted to do that. I don't know if you could say Justin Ross can be a breakout player. I actually thought about him as my MVP as well. I just dark horse for the MVP. Um, I'm going to go with Carmen too. I think uh, expecting good things from him. He's going to rise to the occasion. Huge personality. I think he's, he's going to wear that well um, and be our breakout guy there. Sam, I, I dig that Overton pick too. He's going to be crucial for us. Um, defensive MVP going Isaiah Simmons. I already already said that earlier in the show. Um, he's going to be the the utility knife on this defense. So make tons of plays. He's going to be very very present. That'll be awesome. Um, and breakout defensive player Tyler Davis, baby Dex. Nice. Uh, the dude like is awesome. That. I think uh, he look Christian Wilkins was a starter his freshman year. I think a co starter. Um, maybe it was with DJ reader that year, but, uh, let's go back and check, but, um, I'm not saying he's the second coming of Christian Wilkins, but I am saying that defensive tackles in the past have been able to establish themselves as, as quality starters and big contributors. And I'm um, seeing that from Tyler Davis this year, looking forward to his, his freshman year. 
Uh, well, guys, that is our wrap on this this of many season preview run up shows. It's been really enjoyable to talk with you guys, talk with some of our interview guests. We had Cody on for one or two of these shows. Um, we talked about it enough. I'm ready to watch it. Ready to relax. Not record any shows for a few days. Um, but for our listeners, please subscribe to the podcast. You won't miss a show. We are going to be doing a series of. Uh, interviews, recap shows, preview shows throughout throughout the season, throughout the weeks. We'll get into a groove here. Um, I don't want to claim which day of the week we're going to get our recaps out to you because we have not discussed that yet. Um, but to make sure you don't miss any of the action, please do subscribe to us. Tell a friend. There's a lot of people looking for any and all Clemson content now. Um, there's a lot to see on the ACC network, but on your commute, mowing the lawn, walking the dog, check out the podcast and tell a friend about us. Um, we're on social media as well. Encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Clemson, twitter.com slash Clemson podcast at Clemson podcast. Same address basically over on the Facebook side. Um, we engage pretty often on both platforms. So um, engage with us there. Ask us questions. Uh, yeah. Welcome any and all feedback you guys have for us. You guys got anything else to share before we wrap this one? Um, yeah. And if you do not get the ACC network, um, we are going to live stream our commentary <laughs> as we're drinking at the bar for every game. That would be such a horrible idea. Or a hilarious one. Yeah. People would love it. Actually, no, I'm going to ask a serious question. Like, if we were to pick a game on our schedule and sort of do like a, a live, let's all watch it together with our, our listener community, let us know on social media if you guys would, you would watch that and engage with us. If we did some type of live watch one of our let's call it one of our lesser games like unc charlotte or something if you want to hear our real-time banter about that let us know if not just let the crickets tell it um all right well thank you everyone for tuning in thanks again for following and as always go tigers you lose sound can you guys hear me yeah yep <laughs> it's a valid question ben they're not plugged in are they on your ears <laughs> technical difficulties please stand by here we are filling time. Uh, this is where we would like to ask you to donate to us for this quality programming. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this for, uh, what, four years, fifth year, fifth, is this our fifth season, fourth year? Yeah, this is the fifth season, I think. Yeah, we still haven't figured it out yet. Have we ever had an episode without technical difficulties? Nope. <laughs> and sometimes it is as simple as, is it plugged in? Yeah. Is it the Wi-Fi? What what is what's happening? What does his note need? Yes, ninety percent. Oh, he has he has battery. He was answering my question. Oh. Um. Well. Uh. So Georgia Tech. Um. It's gonna be slaughter. Ridiculous. <laughs> I can't hear you guys yet. Hold on. It's weird that it just went out. Yeah, it just cut out in the middle. There we go. Hey.
What was it? It just like cut out. No idea. And like the battery's totally fine. Bluetooth. That's weird. Super weird. Are you sure you were? Li- are you sure you were listening? Um. After I finished whatever point I was making that I now forget, it like cut out right at that moment. Um, what point was he making? I don't remember either. <laughs>